If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll see you right back here tomorrow night. On the program tonight, Republican political suicide. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Republicans turn on each other and Democrats pop the popcorn. Will Republicans' undisciplined stupidity ever stop? 911 is busy. Overdoses overwhelm Portland police to the point they tell residents to stop calling 911. Do you understand how shocking it is to the rest of the country to hear those words from a major American city? Uh, yeah. Is it too late for course correction? Ball four. The fact is, I was never arrested. I was never charged with a crime. Baseball star Trevor Bauer says he has the proof a woman made up rape allegations. How believing all women puts actual victims in danger. And the mouse's new bestie. Disney partners up with a woke activist who believes white supremacy is woven into society. Disney CEO Bob Iger is vowing to quiet the noise around the culture war that has pitted the company against political leaders. Looks like Bob Iger isn't keeping his promise. Is that why nobody is visiting the happiest place on earth? Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. We're back in Washington and first tonight, never underestimate Republicans' ability to screw things up. To be specific, eight Republicans voted with every Democrat in the House to throw out House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. For the first time in American political history, a party threw out its own speaker. For the past half an hour or so, Republicans have now been meeting in a closed-door meeting to figure out what's next. They did something that had never been done in history before, and they don't have a plan for someone better, and at least some of them don't seem to care. I take no lecture on asking patriotic Americans to weigh in and contribute to this fight from those who would grovel and bend knee for the lobbyists and special interests who own our leadership, who have, oh, boo all you want, who have hollowed out this town and have borrowed against the future of our future generations. We'll get back to uh, Matt Gates and the speaker fight in a minute, but just to show you what Republicans are giving up, how stupid they can be. Let's quickly review things Republicans have going in their favor right now. Their political favor could not be better for Republicans. The stock market plummeted again today. It's back to around the same levels as May. In fact, the Dow is now in the negative for the year. That's crushed everyone's 401ks. Gas prices continue to stay high, risking another spike in inflation. Interest rates are their highest in more than a decade making home ownership out of reach for many Americans. 
We have a quarter million plus illegal immigrants coming across our southern border. President Biden's approval ratings hover around freezing, and a vast majority of Americans worry about his age and ability to perform the duties of president. A new poll shows a record high number of Americans trust Republicans to manage the economy over Democrats. Republicans win that by 14 points. It's never been that high. Yet today, Republicans literally jumped off the political equivalent of Bonsai Cliff. Bonsai Cliff is where so many Japanese committed suicide after U.S. forces captured Saipan in World War II. Moreover, Republicans gave the media they hate, the media they complain about all the time. They gave the media an excuse not to cover all of the issues Americans care about. Interest rates, gas prices, grocery payments, mortgage payments. And instead, they are allowing the media to gleefully focus on the incredible stupidity of Republicans. And that'll happen for the next few days. My own reporting shows Republicans have zero plan for replacing Kevin McCarthy. In fact, there are some Republicans talking about voting for McCarthy again, even some who voted against him today. One very senior Republican today described it to me as a circular firing squad. So once more, here is the man leading his fellow Republicans off Bonsai Cliff. I would say that the conservative agenda was being paralyzed by Speaker McCarthy. We hadn't even sent a subpoena to Hunter Biden. Our oversight was lackluster. Our spending priorities were misaligned. The top line budget was going to lead to more inflation, more debt, more challenges. So the best way to advance the conservative agenda is to move forward with a new speaker. And we're told just in the past couple of minutes, McCarthy said he will not run for speaker again. So now they really don't have a plan. So in the final vote, Republicans couldn't stay unified to keep Kevin McCarthy as speaker, yet Democrats had no problem staying together. They voted 208 to zero to pave the way for Republicans to jump off the cliff. They watched and waved. Matt Gates introduced the motion against McCarthy and convinced a handful of Republicans to vote against the speaker and with Democrats. Most Republicans in Congress hate Gates, but his friendship with President Trump and fundraising ability embolden him. You heard him. His actions today do nothing to solve the problems of 330 million Americans who are not members of Congress. Peter Baker of the New York Times recently wrote to many Americans, government dysfunction is the new normal. As the nation teetered on the brink of a shutdown, its citizens were largely focused on other things. No kidding. And yet Republicans kept any progress on those things from happening. Moreover, they kept any hope of the media talking about those things from happening. The things that matter most to Americans are paralyzed right now. In fact, they're going to get worse. All along the way, Republicans gave enormous political powers to the Democrats all over, wait for it. To be honest, it's hard to figure out what Republicans get in return. As I said, never underestimate the ability of Republicans to screw things up. Eric Erickson's here, nationally syndicated radio host, author of the best conservative political newsletter in America. All right, uh, you talk to these folks all the time. What's their plan? I, what, what is going to get accomplished? I can't figure it out. Look, they don't have one. This was a personal vendetta against uh, by Matt Gates. He had uh, seven others who wanted to watch the world burn. You've got a 200-plus 
Republican conference that refused to go along with it, but because of a four-seat majority, uh, these eight were able to hijack the process. Uh, the problem here is, contrary to what Gates said, people need to realize Gates engineered for Kevin McCarthy to have to rely on Democrats so that he could put this forward and argue McCarthy was siding with Democrats. So Republicans actually had a plan to cut government by 8% outside of defense. Uh, Gates said he would go along with it and then help scuttle it. So it forced McCarthy in the continuing resolution to rely on Democrats. And then having scuttled the plan, Gates says, well, he relied on Democrats. We need to oust him. And he got seven other bomb throwers to, to help him throw the bombs. So they don't have a plan. They don't have a name. Uh, they don't have anyone to move forward. And you had a really good deal for conservatives in what Kevin McCarthy agreed to to become speaker. That's now out the window. Look, to be fair, I think Matt Gates has some legitimate grievances in terms of how things have been handled. Um, and I think I heard you not not along and agree. My question about this, just in terms of what matters to Americans, is that things don't get don't don't happen here in Washington. Uh, none of the problems that that matter to Americans are going to get fixed or any work on it. And Republicans look like they can't even manage uh, 218 votes or 220 votes in the United States House, much less manage the country. My question is, where is Donald Trump in this? He says he's the leader of the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy was his pick. Matt Gates is as sycophantic to to Donald Trump as can possibly you can possibly be, and yet there's no leadership from the leader of the Republican Party. Well, yeah, but he was tied up in court today trying to save his businesses. It is very notable that Kevin McCarthy, of course, famously switched for Trump. He was very critical of him after January 6th, realized Trump was going nowhere, suddenly became very sycophantic. Trump backed him for speaker in 2023. And was nowhere to be seen today. It was very notable he refused to speak up about this, letting this play out. Now, the question is, will these House Republicans want to go along with some new person for Trump? Um, there's no leadership here because this was going to happen anyway. Uh, Gates would not have changed his mind if Trump came out for McCarthy. So he might as well have let it play out. Uh, hmm. I mean, why, why help these guys when they're grabbing anvils and jumping into the ocean? Yeah, look, and, and no, you, you can't blame Democrats. And I, I had a very senior member of Republican leadership who was very angry, said, look, you know, when we were in the minority, none of us would have voted to save Nancy Pelosi. So there you go. Exactly. Uh, how, look, everybody in Washington gets wrapped up in this kind of stuff and why it matters. And now the House can't do anything because no bill can be brought to the floor without a speaker, blah, 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 blah. And I wonder to... To, to the 330 million Americans who are not in Congress and the 328 million uh, who don't live in the District of Columbia, thus they live in reality, because uh, D.C. is, you know, what is it, 80 square miles surrounded by reality. Why does this really matter other than, and maybe the answer is nothing, other than it just proves Republicans can't manage themselves? It, it, that's the biggest issue, and it really doesn't otherwise affect people. This Congress, largely given the divisions, can't do a lot. However, this does begin to matter in 43 days because the clock is ticking on the continuing resolution headed towards another government shutdown. The Republicans in the House can't negotiate a spending package with the Senate without having a speaker in place. It took multiple days in January to come up with a speaker. So you throw a new speaker in. Now you've got 30 days to negotiate. Matt Gates's whole grievance is that McCarthy wasn't doing enough for conservatives. You throw a new speaker into the mix, it's going to be hard to do anything for anyone with the clock ticking on a new continuing resolution. 
Yeah, look, and you got Democrats and the media just sitting there kind of watching it all and, and gleefully allowing Republicans to fight with each other. All right, Eric, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate, by the way, the the dinner friendly conversation we had opposed to your more direct way of describing the situation in the note this morning. Although although I woke up to a a good chuckle with how you described it. It's good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, thank you. In Portland, Oregon, the police are so busy, so busy dealing with overdoses. They literally can't deal with anything else. The city commissioner there, Renee Gonzalez, tweeted yesterday morning, our 911 system is getting hammered this morning with a multiple person incident, multiple overdoses in Northwest Park blocks. Please do not call 911, except in the event of life, death, emergency, or crime in progress, chance of apprehending suspect. In other words, all the law-abiding, non-drug-addicted citizens who had their home broken into, were in a bad car accident, witnessed a robbery at a store, well, all those folks, Portland's message for you is, you're on your own. Because Portland must save the lives of addicts. And it's a predictable result in a state that went soft on crime and decriminalized hard narcotics. Public Enemy wrote about 911 being a joke in the inner cities more than 30 years ago. See, if you lived in a black neighborhood in New York, the group said there was no point calling 911 if you had an emergency. That was 30 years ago. Back then, the cops didn't come either. Today, 911 is a joke in Portland, in a town that decided decriminalizing hard narcotics was a good idea. And as you will find out, in Portland, nobody is laughing. Here now, Portland City Commissioner Renee Gonzalez. Mr. Commissioner, we appreciate you being here. When you go back now and read that tweet, do you understand how shocking it is to the rest of the country to hear those words from a major American city? Uh, yeah, but our 911 systems are overwhelmed right now. And so uh, we've got to confront this crisis head on. Um, we need to alleviate uh, a livability in our city. So we, we need to take a, a strong stand in uh, Portland livability, and the city council is doing that. How much of this is predictable uh, and preventable as it relates to Measure 110? Um, The decriminalization of drugs, it it feels like somebody would have said, hey, we're going to end up having a bunch of people on our streets overdosing on drugs. Yeah, well, part of the issue was this big promise of addiction services that was supposed to come online. And unfortunately, this got rolled out in the middle of the pandemic when our health authority was already overwhelmed. Um, and But that's what voters were sold on, that we were decriminalizing addiction, that we would stand up substantial state-level addiction services. Uh, that just didn't come about. I think that was the surprise. What was predictable is that Measure 110 would attract certain elements to the city uh, that were looking for that lifestyle. And as a city, we're taking a hard stand increasingly to push back on that now. I know you say you're taking a hard stand, and I appreciate that, but I can't help but think of the the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of other residents who, who don't use drugs and who just want to be able to go about their daily lives and call 911 and, and get a police response, don't they have rights too? 
They 100% do. And, uh, you know, the combination of Measure 110, Ninth Circuit law on outdoor camping has really tied cities' hands uh, to address these issues. And frankly, we were probably too tolerant and accepting as a city, uh, even without those things, on some of these behaviors that really destroy livability for everyone else. You don't need me to tell you how bad things have become in Portland, but it, it's not just drug overdoses, right? It's that the, the Nike store, Nike's hometown store, closed permanently because of, of the crime in Portland. And now we're, I understand talking about making open-air drug use illegal and trying to prevent camping and all these kinds of things. But isn't this a little bit like, uh, I mean, forgive the forgive the cliche, but a, a drop in the bucket or, or closing the the, the, the barn doors after the horses are out. This doesn't seem like it's going to really do what it needs to do to get law and order, for lack of a better term, back to Portland. Well, it's going to take multiple steps. There's no two ways about it. And you need all levels of government working in the same direction. Uh, we've been pushing certain forms of judicial reform for the last decade in the state and in our county. We're now paying the piper for that. Um, some well-intentioned things have had some really negative Impacts, including early release of property crime uh, perpetrators and uh, even drug sellers. That was before Measure 110. So, yes, multiple steps got us here, and multiple steps are going to get us out of this. But we do, you know, when we passed the drug ban in the city of Portland and arguably the most progressive city in the state, that passed 5-0. That tells you how much we're responding at the city level. But it's it's going to take a lot of little steps like that to make to turn this around. We are seeing some progress. Yeah, I mean, you, gun yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, you say you you say you say little steps, um, and I get that you're a Democrat and it's a Democratic state. But I, don't you need like wholesale major major steps, um, both at the state level and at the city level, of saying enough is enough? Like I, I'm just wondering why why are we taking such little steps when the problems are so huge? Well, it's because we got here with a number of different contributions, right? And to get out of it, it's going to take a number of contributions. I will say the big thing is that we need to recenter families and entrepreneurs and those who build organizations in our policy discussions. And we focus too much sometimes on the user, on the migratory homeless, and in defining who we should be building government around. So that's the big reset, that we need to center those who contribute uh, and are just looking for a good place to live. I, I guess it's a little bit like addiction, right? The first step is admitting you have a problem. And if yep. if somebody if you are willing to come out and say that and be and do it publicly, uh, you really have to be applauded, sir, because there's a lot of politicians who are not nearly that brave. Uh, and we we sadly report on them uh, often. So the more the moral courage is real, especially within your own party, sir. Uh, Portland City Commissioner uh, Renee Gonzalez, it's good to see you. We're, we're going to have you back and check on check on the little steps. We admire it. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Disney CEO Bob Iger says the company wants to stay away from cultural issues. Wonder if anyone told him they're promoting the work of a professor who peddles racism. It's up to all of us to confront the racism in society and our favorite sports because we all have skin in the game. Is the darling of the left, financial whiz kid who helped bankroll a long list of liberal candidates. Sam Bankman-Fried went on trial today. Where is the fawning media now? 
Okay, now when I read through your testimony, it's clear that you are not anti-regulation, but you do feel that this industry can pretty much regulate itself. Welcome back. Disney just can't seem to shake the woke. Or maybe the multi-billion dollar conglomerate just didn't do its research, you know, like on Google. Mere days after CEO Bob Iger promised shareholders the company would, quote, quiet the noise in the culture wars, Disney just inked a deal with a very problematic professor who has a history of failed ventures and quite divisive views, Dr. Ibrahim X. Kendi. He's known for a series of controversial books on critical race theory. Most recently, his work as head of the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University. Evidently, things at the Anti-Racist Research Center are not that rosy. There's a few problems in Pleasantville. They just laid off half the staff. Kendi's management practices forced the Liberal University to launch an inquiry into his behavior and also what happened to the $55 million poured into the center since 2020. Minor issues. Among Kendi's views, as described by the Wall Street Journal, they denounced voter identification laws as expressly anti-black form of state violence, claimed Ronald Reagan flooded black communities with crack cocaine, and declared that every black person was literally George Floyd. None of that seemed to matter to Disney. They just hired him to do a series on ESPN Plus, owned by Disney, called Skin in the Game. I'm Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. I'm known as a scholar and anti-racist author. I spoke to athletes and experts to explore issues at the intersection of race, sports, and society today. They want black faces, but they don't necessarily want black stories. Rodney Hall's here. He just won the Republican primary to represent northern Mississippi in the state legislature. This November will likely be the first black Republican elected in Mississippi since Reconstruction. Nice to have you on set. Thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome. Thank you much. Why do you think... Big public companies in America just can't quit this stuff. You know, that's the question. Uh, you know, they ask they ask billionaires what's happening at the ground, and they don't go to the people uh, where they live to find out what the issues are affecting them. It, it blows my mind. Um, look, you you went door to door in your district. I did. I know, and I, I've read about it. Um, when you knocked on doors of rural blacks in Mississippi and said, I'm running for the state legislature, okay, fine. And then you said, I'm a Republican. What was their reaction? Uh, you know, the funny thing, Leland, they said, what do you believe in? What do you stand for? And that's a true question. And I appreciate them having that discernment to ask you, uh, what do I plan to do for Mississippi? And I can tell you, black and brown folks, white folks, uh, yellow folks, all across Mississippi, all across the nation, you know what they want? They want safety. They want opportunities. Uh, that's what we stand for in the Republican Party, and I invited them to join me, and that's the reason why they voted for me. We're seeing a backlash uh, against whatever you want to call them, but sort of the divisive nature of America. Uh, interestingly enough, from the Wall Street Journal as well, shorter wait times for rides and more discount offers are signs of thinning crowds at theme parks, and they specifically talked about Disney World. Do you think that we are seeing an actual pushback by sort of wide swaths of Americans on this? Uh, you know, I do think that we're pushing back on the, the leftist agenda, but even more so, uh, Disney, they're not an activist company. They don't believe in uh, political activism. They care about profits. And so they think that this is the way to gain profits, to beat... You know, hold on, I, I want to be fair here. You think it's really the way they think to gain profits, or you think it's Bob Iger thinks it's the way to make everybody in the Hamptons like him and invite him to his parties? Uh, either way, he's, he's okay. barely misplaced, I'll tell you that much. 
All right, five-episode series tackles such topics as mental health of black women athletes, Latinos in baseball, and how sports journalists cover race. Uh, you think that's going to be fair? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, and listen, was there slavery back in the day? Absolutely. Was there the, the, the great sin? Absolutely. But here's the thing. Why are we talking about this now? I think we are beyond this. You look at the NFL, and, you know, 20 years ago, it was tough to have a you know, black quarterback. Now nearly half the quarterbacks in the NFL are black quarterbacks. It's not about the color of your skin. It's about the meritocracy. Who can win? That's what owners care about. That's what fans care about. And so why business is, is choosing to go down this path, I think it's for profits, not necessarily for the people. All right. Interesting. It's good to see you, sir. Good luck in the race. Thank we'll you see much. you back here sometime soon. Thank you All for right. having Thank me. Thank you very much. Sam Bankman-Fried went on trial today. His alleged fraud made Bernie Madoff almost look like small ball. Bankman-Fried's ex-girlfriend and co-founder Gary Wang will reportedly testify against him. 31-year-old co-founded FTX. It was a cryptocurrency exchange back in 2019. Within a few years, it was the world's third largest exchange. SBF was worth billions, and the media loved him. J.P. Morgan of this generation, Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX, yes. is, is slashing everybody's margin. It's a thrill to have him here and get his perspective. Sam, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us. In the end, my goal is to do as much good as I can. Now let's get to the man himself, Sam Bankman-Fried, founder and CEO of FTX, is joining us from the Bahamas for an exclusive interview. Sam, thank you so much for joining us once again. It's great to have you. They call him the J.P. Morgan of crypto, right? Yeah, the Michael Jordan of crypto, if you will. Mm. And where are they now? Prosecutors say SBF turned out to be a fake stole billions from those who stored their cryptocurrency accounts at FTX. He joins the long list of young entrepreneurs beloved by Forbes magazine and other members of the media only to get arrested and charged with fraud. Here now, News Nation contributor Colby Hall and Adam Kamenstein, former federal prosecutor. Gentlemen, good to see both of you. Adam, start with you. Uh, Bankman-Fried's defense evidently is going to center around that this was all just some accounting mistakes. As you've read through this case, how much of an open and shut deal is it? I think the government's got a very strong case. Like Gentlemen, I'm going to interrupt you for one second here. Uh, Kevin McCarthy just came out uh, to announce that he is not going to run for speaker again. Take a listen. If you believe your principles bring people greater freedom, you should be happy about it. I've always, been ha- I've always been excited that I've been a happy conservative. But I've always believed that I've been so fortunate to be an American. My journey to this office was something people wouldn't understand. I grew up in a town of Bakersfield, California, the son of a firefighter, the grandson of immigrants. Parents worked hard, the youngest in my family. Didn't have great wealth and got out of high school, I didn't have great grades. Couldn't get a scholarship, went to community college. Flipped cars to try to pay my way through it. Went to visit some buddies away in college for a weekend, stopped at the grocery store to cash a check, and I won the lottery. One of the first in California. It was before Biden economics. It was only 5,000, but it went much further back then. Took my folks to dinner, put the majority of the rest of the money into the stock market, and did pretty well. The next semester, I took a break from school. I went to buy a franchise, but no one said they would sell me one. I was only 20 years old. But I learned then never to give up. So I opened my own business, selling sandwiches. Three things I learned. 
First to work, last to leave, last to be paid. I wanted to finish my college degree. At that time, no one in my family had finished a four-year degree. I did pretty well. I now had enough money that I could pay my way through school as long as I went to Cal State. So I sold my business, going to school. I opened up the local paper and said, be a summer intern in Washington, D.C. with my local congressman. I did not know this Mm -hmm. man, but I thought he'd be lucky. All right, Kevin McCarthy with what you might call the exit speech. Uh, says he is not going to run again for House Speaker. If he says anything noteworthy or if we figure out what Republicans' plans are to solve some of the issues you care about at home, we'll get back to it. Meantime, we press on with our conversation about Sam Bankman-Fried, who defrauded Americans of billions upon billions of dollars, allegedly. That's what prosecutors are going to argue when his trial begins. Uh, Back now uh, with a former federal prosecutor on this. what do we make of Bankman Freed's defense that this was just an accounting error? I think that's going to be a hard, hard uh, proposition to sell. I mean, the government's got a, a very strong case here. It's got high level cooperators who are going to give the jury an inside view of the, the scheme to defraud and efforts by Bankman to conceal what he knew were arguably illegal activities. Uh, it's got emails and texts and things of that nature. And then, of course, it's got the financial um, transactions, records of the financial transactions themselves. So, uh, you know, kind of a follow the money story. I think the government's got the proverbial slam dunk of a case here. The defense, on the other hand, is going to you know try to accuse, distract and confuse the jury. But uh, in the face of the evidence that uh, it's looking at, I think it's going to have a very hard sell doing that. Yeah. Colby, I'm glad to have you because it just makes me chuckle when you watch the financial news commentators, especially, who appear to have not had any ability to learn on this one. And then there is just this incredible hubris about people like Sam Bankman-Fried that they just salivate over in order to get access to. And then when it turns out they're complete frauds, oh, well, nobody knew. It's stunning. I mean, uh, it's not just Samuel Bankman-Fried who's uh, on trial here. It's really the financial media who are just as complicit in sort of lending their credibility to this guy. Now, this is not a crypto sort of fraud. It's a financial fraud under the guise of crypto. And these dudes, namely Kevin O'Leary and, uh, you know, James Kramer, they went up, they got fully behind SBF, helped him make billions and billions of dollars. And then the moment that it turned south, just completely sort of threw him under the rug and said, oh, that's it. And then never spoke to him again about him again. And, I, you know, the, the lack of accountability by the financial media who li- literally are just speculating and, and making stuff up is shocking. And, and candidly, we should look into this. It's, it's really embarrassing and it's it's unhealthy for our financial system. Yeah, you think about Elizabeth Holmes and others. You know, Elizabeth Holmes didn't steal from common investors. She took a lot of rich guys for a ride. But Bankman Freed really hurt, hurt, really hurt a lot of people. Adam, as you look through this case and the documents there, were there red flags that the financial media should have been picking up on in this that they they didn't perhaps because they didn't want to see them? They were too interested in the interview. I think not just the financial media, but institutional investors got taken as well. You know, I think sometimes when things look really good, um, people want to believe it's, uh, you know, an implicit bias there. And uh, until there's a reason to look under the hood, no one does. And usually at that point in time, it's too late. And that's what happened here. Yeah, well, too too late for so many people, not too late for a lot of people to uh, 
sell a lot of books and do a lot of interviews with him. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up next, when a member of Congress gets carjacked, it's national news. When regular Joe in Washington gets carjacked, it's hardly investigated. Tonight, we'll show you another capital city that actually took crime seriously. There have been 753 carjackings this year in our nation's capital, about twice a day. You probably haven't heard about any of them. That is until it happened to Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar. Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar is safe after he was carjacked. That Congressman Cuellar was parking his car when three armed assailants approached the congressman and stole his vehicle. It happened at an apartment building. This was about a mile from the Capitol. The latest sign of a disturbing spike in gun crime in this city. Heard about Cuellar. It's not just happening in Washington, of course. Headlines from around the country that you haven't heard of in the past 48 hours. A Philadelphia journalist killed in their home. A New York City activist stabbed in the street. And an 11-year-old gang raped in Minnesota. And a father of three killed in Tennessee. James Craig is here, former Detroit police chief who is running for Senate in Michigan. Chief, it's good to see you. I feel as though in some ways this doesn't surprise you. You know, Leland, I wish I could say I'm surprised, but I'm not. And, you know, when we saw 2020, what was happening around our country with a lot of the major cities, many of them on fire, looting, attacking police officers, destroying property, some of it's continuing to this day because those who sit in positions, and I'm not going to say political leadership, but political influence like the mayors and some of the chiefs who basically give a lot of lip service, and I'm not saying all, and nothing changes. The real issue is, where are the consequences? And if there are no consequences, the crimes are going to continue. I am happy. Yeah. And while I've left the department and here in Detroit almost two years ago, uh, we're not having those kind of problems. We set a tone. And there were consequences. And we had a community that supported us. So I'm not shocked about this. And it's going to continue yeah. unless things change. You speak about consequences. I think it's interesting because even when you listen to like Pierre Thomas of ABC going, you know, a rash of gun crime in the city of Washington, D.C. is if it's some sort of like amorphous thing that happens that no one can do anything about. Um, El Salvador uh, had the highest number of homicides in the in the world. Murder capital of the world, 107 homicides per 100,000 people, one in a thousand people. Uh, fast forward to today, the homicide rate has fallen to two per 100,000. That's a 98% uh, decrease, if my math is, is correct. From the Washington Post, the president's actions have fundamentally, functionally destroyed the criminal street gangs that drove the country's astounding crime rate. Um, he also, of course, shredded basic judicial protections, locked up people uh, for tattoos and anonymous phone calls. So there, it, it has a, another side what happened in El Salvador. What do you think is going to have to happen for politicians to begin to reverse what we saw in 2020? Well, what's going to have to happen, uh, you know, of course, many on the left have moved away from this uh, defund the police rhetoric. Look, let's face it. A lot of men and women in law enforcement today do not feel supported. They're leaving the profession. You can't hire police. You can't hire enough of them to replace those that are leaving. And so there needs to be systemic change in how police officers are treated. That's the bottom line. Mm. And it does come down to one basic thing, leadership. No leadership, you don't support, 
the men and women. Now, what's sad about it, uh, many of the so-called progressive prosecutors are making victims out of the criminals. But the people who live in the most vulnerable communities in these cities, whether it's here in Detroit, they're the ones who rely on the police. We look at D.C., for example. Two elected congresspersons have been attacked in the last several weeks. Per capita, they have more police in most places. Chief, got- I, 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 I hate to cut you off, but I wanted to get this in before we go. D.C.'s mayor has said the, nation, the nation's capital is up to 400 cops short. And this is a quote. We have policies that make it difficult to recruit new officers. That's the mayor talking. Those are the mayor's policies. So your, your point is made, sir. It's good to see you. Thank you very much. we got to run, but we'll have you back to talk about the Senate race. Next, we go back to the House, House of Representatives. Kind of like going back to the scene of the crime where there is no plan for Republicans going forward. Cuomo's up next on that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Five pictures from Capitol Hill. Kevin McCarthy giving his farewell speech, you can say. It is a House divided tonight, not divided Republican-Democrat, because the Democrats are actually united. It is the Republicans who are divided against themselves. They voted to kick out Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. Eight Democrat, eight Republicans sided with every Republican, every Democrat, uh, to end the Speaker's tenure. And with that, Chris Cuomo is uh, here. How are you covering this tonight? McCarthy made his own bed. Uh, yeah. He went back on the deal he made with the fringy right guys. Uh, he foolishly lowered the threshold to vacate the speaker to any representative making a motion. So he made himself vulnerable. Um, but the idea that they're angry at him, not just for breaking the deal, but for making a deal to raise the debt ceiling shows you the problem with division. That is not a constructive argument. Uh, You have to pay for what was already spent. The debt ceiling is not the time to hold future spending hostage. It's not what the debt ceiling is about. That's what the budget negotiation is about. So punishing McCarthy for wanting to pay our bills Mm -hmm. and work with the other side, uh, I think is uh, proof that this only gets worse from here. They don't even have a plan. McCarthy, as you reported, isn't going to run again. Um, So who's it going to be? Trump? Yeah. No, look, I, I talked to I talked to members of House leadership, Republican leadership today. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants none, none of the real adults in the room want to run for it because they know you're all beholden to the craziest uh, among them. I actually had somebody uh, text me tonight and say, is this the end of the Republican Party if, if they can't hold things together? All right. Um, we'll be interested to see what you have tonight uh, coming up on it, Chris. Thank you. All right. Coming up next, baseball star Trevor Bauer says he was wrongly accused of sexual assault and now has the proof to show it. Why false accusations of sexual assault put the real victims of rape in trouble. What should I steal? She asked another in reference to visiting my house for the first time. The answer, take his money. 
The Major League Baseball playoffs began today, and Trevor Bauer will still not be playing. You might remember Major League Baseball suspended him after sexual assault allegations back in 2021. Allegations he denied. And now he says he has proof they were made up. Critical information was deliberately and unlawfully concealed from me and my legal team. Uh, Information like this video, which was taken by Lindsay Hill herself the morning after she claimed she was brutally attacked, emotionally traumatized, and desperate to get away from me. Uh, In it, you can see her lying in bed next to me while I'm sleeping, smirking at the camera without a care in the world. Bauer was a star pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers before being accused of sexual assault back in 2021. He denied all charges, and the L.A. District Attorney's Office investigated, didn't charge him. But despite that, Major League Baseball suspended him for two seasons, later reduced to one season. The Dodgers released him, and no other Major League team picked him up since. He's been playing in Japan for a lot less money. If he was convicted, he was facing eight years in prison and potentially spending life on the sex offender registration list. Yet texts from the alleged accuser revealed Bauer might be the real victim himself. Among the things Lindsay Hill texted, next victim star pitcher for the Dodgers, what should I steal? Take his money, Hill's friend allegedly responded. I already have my hooks, net worth is 51 million, Hill allegedly texted. You better get his bag. Bachanger Sargon, opinion editor at Newsweek, is here. Look, there are a lot of women who are victims of sexual assault and rape, and I feel like the future ones who have legitimate claims are the real victims in all this. You know, it's a very interesting case. Uh, There were some red flags from the beginning. Um, She claimed that she had been assaulted sexually by him twice. I guess she went back for a second one. Um, And she also claimed that this happened within the context of a a rough, consensual sexual relationship. At the same time, Leland, um, she's one of three women who have accused him of you know, this kind of an encounter going awry in the in the midst of a consensual rough sexual relationship. Yeah. Um, so it is a little bit murky, although in this case, it does seem like she did make it up and he does have the proof for it. And, and I think, though, there's a larger point here, Leland, which is that, you know, the Me Too movement was so important in some ways, like you said, to make women who are actually victimized feel like they can be heard. At the same time, I think the Me Too overreach has created a real crisis in mating, if you will, where we've convinced young women that even things that are consensual, they often experience them as an act of assault. And we've convinced young men of the truth, which is that even something that starts out consensual, they could end up being accused of rape. And you just can't have a functioning civilization in in this context. Look, I I know a lot of mothers of kids who are going off to college, young men who are going off to college who are terrified, right? Because one accusation, no matter how unfounded, three, no, two years later, you might have the evidence, but in the time, it's it's awful what happens. Is it time, and I'll give you the last 30 seconds, is it time to start punishing women who so clearly make accusations for which there is substantial evidence that they are untrue? I don't know if we want to prosecute them. Um, But in this case, it does seem like the justice system really worked, right? I mean, the temporary restraining order was lifted by the judge almost immediately because she had access to all this information. He did, although when you have three women making accusations like this, maybe people don't want to work with you. Whether or not that's fair, that seems more like a, you know, private sector question. And I'm not sure that they made the wrong call there. Interesting. Well, look, you know, in the end, Major League Baseball gets to decide. And 
um, people get to decide who they do and do not have relationships with and, and how they go about, go about that. Uh, but it's always good.